Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Our Bible Ponder for this week. We're continuing our series looking at the letter to the Galatians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 3 specifically this evening. And chapter 3 of Galatians is really important for um, Christian theology as a whole, as well as for um, this specific letter. So many of the themes in chapter 3 are themes that are um, central to what makes up um, our theology as Christians, as a continuation of um, the Jewish faith and things that stretch back through history. So um, before we dive right in, I want to talk a little bit about chapter two to get a running start. So if we remember what Paul's argument is beginning to build on in chapter two is this sort of um, narrative examples as he's going through his own conversion story and then moving into how he's interacted with the apostles and then specifically how he opposes um, the apostle Peter in Antioch, who is engaging in some hypocrisy by um, preaching to the Gentiles, preaching acceptance, preaching that um, circumcision and therefore following the entire law isn't necessary for Gentiles to become believers. Um, but when Jews are coming to visit, Peter, he is um, kind of going back on that in his own actions and not eating with Gentiles and starting to go back into following the law to the exclusion of the Gentiles who he has said don't need to follow the law. And um, this um, really makes Paul angry. Paul calls him out on it and talks about how um, that's like living a lie. And it's not just because of Peter's own actions, but because Peter as an apostle is setting an example for others. And, and that's quite a dangerous precedent for Peter to start setting. And Paul's really conscious of that, and especially here for the uh, churches in Galatia, because what seems to be the problem for them is the same types of either Christians or Jewish Christians who are really, really intent on um, enforcing um, the Mosaic law on new Christian converts. So basically saying, um, if you want to be a Christian, you have to become a full Jew first. And then you follow all of the law, and then you sort of tack Christianity onto the end. And um, what Paul has said already in the beginning, and he said here that they even had a council in uh, in Jerusalem, which we have relayed to us in the book of Acts chapter 15, that they said, no, you don't need to do that. Gentiles can become Christians through faith. And so um, Paul's sort of historical narrative examples here build on that argument, but then he's going to now... Um, move into some biblical argumentation where he's going to reach back into the Old Testament and do some argument arguing um, from the scriptures. So let's get into chapter three. And Paul begins um, with quite a forceful insult. You foolish Galatians. And that um, might sound a bit silly to, to our ears, but it's quite a strong insult to them. To call someone foolish in the ancient world was, uh, was quite a put down. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. And that phrase, before your very eyes, is a bit of rhetoric. So in ancient rhetoric, they would talk about um, a speaker being so clear and so vivid, not only with their words, but also with their actions, that it was as if the story that you were telling was before their very eyes. And so um, Paul's probably not referring to them literally having seen Jesus die, but that Paul's own preaching, Paul's own actions portrayed that for them before their very eyes. He said, I would like to learn just one thing from you. 
Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observed the law or because you believe what you heard? And this almost sounds a, a bit like a parent scolding a, a child who's done something really foolish and dangerous. And he's really um, quite angry with them and he's, he's saying to them, um, are you like... Did you receive the spirit from serving the law? When I came to you and I preached to you and you converted and you received the spirit, did you do that because you followed the law? Like, no, of course not, is the answer. And you can almost picture them sitting there with their heads down going, no, Paul. Um, and, and his argument is basically, like, remember what happened when I first came. You didn't need to follow the law and you were still able to receive the spirit. And apparently miracles and other things are happening among them before they were um, tricked into observing the law as part of their faith. And so what he is saying to them is, why, why do you think you need this now? If, if you didn't before, why now? And he continues in verse 6. Consider Abraham, and here's the beginning of this sort of scriptural, biblical argument. Arguing, He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. And that's Genesis 12 and several other places in Genesis. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what Paul is beginning to argue here, and he'll continue arguing throughout the rest of the chapter, is this gospel that... Um, Gentiles are saved through faith and not through following the law, is not some new thing that we've made up. It's not an aberration. It's not a concession. It is part of the original promise to Abraham from God. And the law comes later, and Paul will get into that. So his argument is that this isn't just some new thing that we've taught you, but this is the original. Verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And that's Deuteronomy 27. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. And that's a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. And that's Leviticus. He's quoting a lot of scriptures here. And the, the verse from Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. But Paul, what he is saying is um, that in order to attain righteousness, you can do it by observance of the law, but by faith. And that's kind of Paul's uh, main thing he says a lot. And there were some ancient Jewish uh, writers and thinkers and commentators who would see the word faith there and interpret that as adherence to the law. But what Paul is doing is changing sort of the meaning of that and reinterpreting that idea of faith and tying it back to Abraham, who had faith. And so, um, again, Paul is tying everything back to this original promise to Abraham rather than law, which had taken such a prominent position um, for the Jewish people. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung 
on a tree, again in verse from Deuteronomy. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And there's maybe a lot more to say um, in, in a future time about the word redeemed. Um, I, I think we often have a tendency to sort of put all of uh, these sort of Christian words into a bucket and just call them all the same thing or think of them as the same thing. Words like redeemed and reconciled and grace and all of this sort of things. We all just sort of throw it in the bucket and it all just kind of means the same thing that we're all saved. Um, but these words do have some specific meaning to them. And so redeemed is, is an idea of um, being rescued out of a situation or almost being bought. You could redeem a slave or, or things like that. So um, again, there's a lot more to say about that. Maybe uh, one day in future we'll do some Bible ponders on some of these specific words. Um, but again, he's continuing that argumentation, going back to Abraham and that the original promise to Abraham would be open to the Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Again, common ancient argumentation. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. And in the ancient world, they would, um, both in Greek and Roman and, and Jewish times, they would seal up um, legal wills and covenants and all of these things um, and they would seal them and, and they wouldn't be opened until the person died, especially something like a will. Or they would be registered and, and given almost in like a safety deposit box, like an ancient safety deposit box. And so um, this would have been something that was familiar to them. So you can't change it. And it would have been um, thought that any new covenant or, or new will um, couldn't supersede the old one. The old one took precedence. And so um, what they might be arguing is that this new idea that Gentiles are saved by faith, not through the law, is a new thing and that the new thing can't outdo the old. And so that is why Paul is arguing back to Abraham that it isn't just that this is a new thing. This is actually the original thing, older than the law. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to his seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, singular, meaning one person, who is Christ. And this is kind of an interesting sort of grammatical argument that um, the, the Jewish rabbis would have engaged in. And it might not pass our sort of logic test today, but it, it's sort of a grammatical argument because in Hebrew, like in English, um, the word seed could be singular or plural, just as you could say, I have some seed, um, or you could say, I have some seeds, <laughs> multiple um, seed could be either. But he's arguing then that it's not that Abraham has loads of seeds, but one seed, and that's Christ, but then that opens up to everybody. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later, I'm not sure where he gets his math, but that's what he comes up with, and that could be from the entrance to Egypt to back out again, um, however he's calculating that, that's the number he comes up with. 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. 
So this promise, this covenant is, is something given to Abraham and Abraham's descendants, not a contractual, you obey the law, then you get my blessing. But God's blessing came to Abraham first through a promise. Verse 19, what then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? And this sort of um, negative question was, was again more common argumentation of, of the day. Absolutely not, Paul says. The, the law isn't opposed to the promise of God. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through, and again, here's where we have this phrase again, often translated the faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But this is, again, one of those places where um, in Greek it is the faith or faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So let's read it with that in mind again. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. So that what was promised being given through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So Jesus fulfilling the promise, his faithfulness to the covenant and his faithfulness to that original promise then means that we can have that promise as well. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So let's back up to that. So the law was put in charge. Um, literally what this says is the law was made, um, the word is uh, paedagogos, which is um, means like, um, a, almost like a nanny. So it would often be a slave who was in charge of a young child who um, would have been, you know, maybe a wealthy person's son. And they weren't the teacher. They weren't to that level, but they they were kind of the nanny. They would look after the child. They would maybe take them to and from school. They would look after them. And they would often have a very good relationship with that child. And often once that child was grown up and, and alive, they would probably free the, the sort of nanny, the, the pedagogos, but um, they weren't the same level as a teacher. They weren't that high of a level. And this might've been quite offensive to Jewish rabbis and other Jewish teachers that he's sort of lowering the law to the idea of, of a sort of nanny of humanity, but that's kind of what it is. So. To read that paragraph again, before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was made our nanny to reveal or to lead us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And this time it actually is faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And he'll continue there. Um, some of your Bibles might have the start of the next chapter, but it's a continuation of the same paragraph sort of 
thought. Um, and he's going to continue arguing the same analogy that we are like, or were like children um, under the nanny, but then now we're grown up under Christ. And that's what he's going to continue arguing under. But we'll finish with this idea here at the end of Galatians 3, which is the very, very core of the gospel and the core um, end of all of Paul's argument that it's not the law that saves you, but faith. And so therefore it's not Jew and it's not now Gentiles who then have to become Jews or any of these sorts of things. And in the ancient world as well, both Greeks would do this and also Jews would do this. They would pray to their gods and say, thank God that you did not make me um, an animal or poor or a woman or things like that in, in um, for the, or, or not Greek. If you were Greek or if you were Jewish, you would say, thank God you didn't make me a Gentile or a woman. Um, and that's the, the sort of misogynistic culture that they're living in and that Paul's writing into. And so this idea is so revolutionary. And this is what we carry on to today for our um, our gospel and the truth of who we are, that faith in Jesus, that um, what Jesus has accomplished through his death is the ultimate leveler and creator of equality among everybody. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So many of the ancient religions and cults and everything were invested in maintaining these boundaries. Many of the ancient religious cults um, were, were quite expensive to belong to, and so mostly there were wealthy people. And then, by extension, wealthy men, because those were the people who would um, take up those positions and, and maintain the sort of patriarchal structures. And for the Jews, it was similar. If you remember the structure of the temple, women could only go a certain distance into the temple. And then after that, men could go in if they were circumcised. Um, and so, so many ancient cultures and religions and all of these things were really invested in maintaining boundaries, maintaining um, the structures and things that kept people separate, that separated rich from poor, slave from free, Jew from Gentile, Greek from non-Greek, Roman citizen from pagan, all of these sorts of uh, divisions. And Christianity is coming along and doing away with all of that and having rich people uh, interact with poor people and slaves and um, slave owners, free people, uh, people who um, were, were wealthy, people who were Jewish, people who were Jewish, all sorts of different people, men and women especially as well. And that was so different so, so different. And anytime that happens, that um, creates a lot of controversy and a lot of problems. And it still does to this day. So many of our churches, of our um, societies, of our groups, of our cliques all become very, very homogenous because that's often what is comfortable and what's easy to maintain. And diversity is so difficult to maintain and to foster and to protect. And this is the core of Paul's argumentation is through Christ, we are all equal. We're all children of God, all with the same status, all inheritors of that original promise to Abraham, whether you're a man, you're a woman, whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whatever, doesn't matter. We're all equal. Every human being created by God is a child of God. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, he says in three. 26. 
And that is so much the core of Christian theology. And that is so much why I love Galatians. He's going to continue that argument a little bit in, into the next couple of chapters um, and develop that a bit further, but we'll see that in the coming weeks. So thanks very much for watching this evening. If you want to check out the other videos in this series, they're in um, the Bible Ponder um, playlist on Facebook or in uh, on YouTube. There's different playlists for the different Bible Ponder series. Go to Bible Ponder uh, Galatians to um, watch the rest of these back through. Thanks for watching. See you next week.